Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark Moore, and joining me here today for his second spot on the show, after what iTunes tells me is the most popular episode we've done, it's filmmaker Mr. Jason Gray. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. We, I, I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix recently, Jason? Um, yeah, I've been watching a few, uh, a few things, but... Um uh, the show that I've been really into is Miss Master of None. Um, actually going through it a second time because I was just, you know, the prospect that he, he, uh, you know, he has said he may not do a second season anytime soon because it, it took, you know, a lot of his personal things about his life were up on the screen there and he needs to refill the well. And just like, even if it's just the one thing, it's like, it's like the sex pistols, you know, never mind the bollocks season of comedy. And it's just, it's brilliant. So it's really incredible. I'm almost done. I just finished the uh, eighth episode. So I've still got savor it kind of the, the rest of their relationship to go. That's my favorite episode. The ninth episode is yeah. the best, I think. So oh, fantastic. Coming up, coming up. The movie that we're here to talk about is from 2014, directed by Jonathan Glazer. We're here to talk about Under the Skin. Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> I, I've chosen, you know, two films, uh, you know, back to back that are certainly not, you know, uh, for, first known to be comfort experiences, I guess. <laughs> no. You know, and no. uh, you're here to challenge me, and the, I appreciate that. The, the two two films that I've chosen, interestingly enough, also start with the letter U, which is not the most common letter to start a film with. So interesting. Before we get into that, though, I do want to let the world know that today's episode is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. The ways that Netflix describes this movie are as follows. First of all, when you hover over the title, it says, A beautiful alien on the hunt. She's the ultimate fantasy for lonely men and really gets under their skin. Again, you know, I mean, these, these <laughs> you know, whoever like, you know, comes up with these, I mean, they have this very specific goal to accomplish, which is <laughs> generating interest based on sort of the things that provide immediate gratification. It's like, so this film doesn't actually provide any immediate gratification. So how do we make it feel like it does? I mean, well, it's got Scarlett Johansson. That doesn't hurt. Right. And so I love these elements, but, you know, which were very conscious used for the reasons why she would be a draw right sure when you click on the title the description changes to a seductive alien prowls the street in search of prey unsuspecting men who fall under her spell only to be consumed by a strange liquid pool <laughs> i feel like that's that's not a necessary part it's of totally your, not it's totally not necessary like you know wow i wasn't really interested at all until you mentioned liquid pool well i'm in you know <laughs> I'm totally in now. I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of having never seen the film, right? I mean, I saw it at the Highland when it when it first came out. I saw it like three times. It was only playing for a week. So yes, that means three times in one week. And I made it a, a goal to take new people every time I went, right? Because right. Uh, um, If you'd known that you could just tell them about the liquid pool. I should have done that, yeah. I mean, they'll be lining up in the streets. It wasn't a hard sell, though, with the people that I took. But uh, if it had been, you know, it would have been nice to, to draw on that. Uh, Netflix has this movie in a ton of genres. Um, first, uh, yeah, just an absolute gong show amount. So starting off with dramas, then dramas based on books, dramas based on contemporary literature, independent dramas, thrillers, independent thrillers, supernatural thrillers, sci-fi thrillers, British movies, independent movies, sci-fi and fantasy, alien sci-fi, and sci-fi dramas. That's, yeah, that's quite quite the list 
I guess if your movie defies categorization, you also can just throw everything at it. Yeah, there's always a way, right? There's always a way, <laughs> even if you're wrong. I mean, you have to put something, right? And so it's it's interesting that they went with that many instead yeah. of uh, just a couple. But it, it's neat that there's a dramas based on contemporary literature. Yeah. So that probably means that in some category page of Netflix, this is sitting right next to the Maze Runner. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I would love to see somebody accidentally stumble upon Under the Skin seeking. <laughs> if you like the Maze, the Maze Runner. Runner, you may like. Uh, the moods that Netflix describes are scary and cerebral, mm-hmm. both of which I'm fine with. So the big question right off the bat is why Under the Skin? Why specifically did I choose it to to talk about on my second uh, visit? Yes, here I mean I, mm-hmm. you uh, you mentioned the first time that we talked that your second pick would have been Under the Skin. Yeah. So. You know, why Why does this movie have such a draw and um, that you feel like you needed to talk about it? Well, I mean, it's I, I had sort of last minute uh, thoughts before I came here, like a, a few days ago. I was debating like, oh, you know, should I choose her, you know, I, I, you know, or under the skin? And then I realized, well, her, I think someone's going to jump on that. And I felt like, well, under the skin, maybe nobody's going to jump on that. <laughs> and I really, I don't know how so long. So you're doing this for me. Well, I don't really know how long it'll be on Netflix. And I really, you know, I love the film and it's made a, you know, very strong impact on me. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned with the, in our upstream color chat, uh, films that 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 challenge you know ways of perception right films that take these chances and utilize the medium for what it is like a visual you know storytelling format um i don't know it just that opening scene of under the skin for me when i saw that i was like yes like this is this is what i what i come to the movies for and i don't get that kind of surprise as much anymore you're talking about the like the very beginning yeah. like that yeah. i have no idea what's going on i have yep. no frame of reference there's just yeah. shapes appearing in front of me over yeah. this crazy soundscape yeah and it's just uh it was immediately you know compelling to me and then the experience of watching the film i don't know i just uh, uh and the more that i learned about the project again you know the 10 year development cycle for it and you know how uh, you know the detail that he went into to make you experience planet earth from a completely foreign viewpoint so you're looking at the planet as if it is an alien planet and this is the place where you live this is the place where you reside but you only are seeing it through her eyes and um i don't know that was the most um successful uh um, thing that they pulled off in the film is making me feel that. And then again, I mean, it just uh, like upstream color, this is a film that does not have much dialogue. And, uh, I don't know. It just, I liked, yeah, I just like not being rushed through the process. I like that I was, I was, again, the perspective is what I'll get into. Like it's one of the main things I'm going to talk about today, but, um, the fact that the film pulled off doing this and pulled it off in such a unique way by using hidden cameras, um, and such, like all of the encounters she has at the side of the road with men are, those men do not know that they're being filmed. That's unscripted. Um, and so that we could capture a real, response of a, a glimpse of the world when it doesn't know it's being watched mm-hmm. they were of course told afterwards and they, yeah they, yeah. Would, <laughs> have to be they would have the opportunity to would. uh you know to opt out you mentioned that you want to talk about perspective mm-hmm. um and that was something that you know i've kind of joked in the past when talking to you before that you know it's done well if even i notice it you know like i know that you get to you know you've got a much better understanding of how this all works behind the camera and kind of the the tools that you use to to create that sensation. But I loved early in the movie when are we going to call her Laura? 
because that's what she's credited as but i've just been saying her yeah because sure. she's not mentioned mm-hmm. in i don't know they never say her name so i don't i don't like using it but yeah um i loved when she was at first in the car and you're seeing people just walking down the street and it's these fast cuts mm-hmm. and without saying a word without telling us anything about her you feel that she's hunting yeah it's this very aggressive cut just predatory assessing her potential prey deciding this is not something that i'm gonna like no 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 next Mm -hmm. one next one this relentless i don't want to say animalistic because that that's not that's not quite what it is but it it is this it's this hunting feeling that you get and you join into it because you know you that's that's what the camera is doing and that's our line of sight as well well, animalistic is okay to go with. I mean, it's very primal, right? I mean, Prime. there we go. She's, uh, you know, she's literally, you know, we witness like her creation, if you will, at the opening. The opening of the film is the creation of her eye, right? Of the of this sort of all-seeing eye, of you know, of her new skin, right? You know, and um, so we open up with this, you know, this this powerful image of the eye in the pupil and we hear her voice, you know, uh which, you know, Jonathan Glazer used actual snippets of Scarlett doing uh practicing her accent um for the film. And so he used that in the opening scene so you know, we get a sense of this woman learning language, right? And why do we learn language? Why do we form any of these things in life so we can acquire knowledge or information or make connections with people? So she's learning what she needs to learn, what she needs to know to hunt. Mm-hmm. Like she has that that purpose where she in her community uh in you know, her family, if you will, that's she's the you know the black widow uh you know with the spider's web and that's what she does she brings them in so uh that you know she and her people can continue to disguise themselves but uh, that idea of the eye and of perception um we see it you know throughout the whole film and you know i'll continue to come back to this so i won't i won't drop it all right now but fair enough you you kind of touched on something there when you were saying uh watching her become an effective predator mm-hmm is not unlike watching somebody develop into a person. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I think it's important that Jonathan Glazer never overtly says alien. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you know the book that the movie's based on, then you, it's very explicit that these are extraterrestrials yeah. in this movie in under the skin. You don't have that. You have hints, you have implications that, you know, there's something predatory going on, but it's never overtly stated that that's what it is. I mean, at the end, yeah. you know, there's the reveal of the, of the body and everything, but the connections between this alien other thing being used to expose and maybe make you question more than is comfortable what it does mean to be a person and what it means to be human and seeing the parallel of her development within our own is, I mean, it's unsettling to look at and to think about like, um, when we see her hunting, she seems to very much have a, an interest in an appeal in uh in people who have no connections yes which shows a lot of foresight almost bordering on morality that Mm. she you know they know that they need to keep hidden yeah so they know that they need to make sure that they're not gonna you know grab any prey that's gonna bring a whole lot of attention to themselves Mm -hmm. so i was looking at that i was like well that's that's almost like you arrive at the same point 
as mm-hmm. having a morality that, you know, if you have to feed on somebody, you want to do as little social harm as possible. Right. But then that gets you along kind of a, a line of thinking that like, well, is that really all that different? And is morality really anything other than an evolved defense mechanism, right? right? To, to make sure that there's a, a propagation that of I your species. That I continue to do what I do or whatever. Like, I don't necessarily see it as a, as, a, as a morality for her. I mean, I look at her. I mean, she's like this. She's the naive child fresh out of the primordial, primordial ooze, if you right. will, right? And so she's new. She's so new that, you know, she's she's an innocent anyway it's like what it's hard we can't really the film never asks us to judge her for what she's doing never asks us to judge anyone and i think this will be one of the areas where it, it differs greatly from the book is that the book uh you know has a more of a an omniscient you know viewpoint whereas this film does not have an omniscient viewpoint it has the viewpoint of these others and so we as the viewer um we are the others. We are seeing the world. We have, we are given no opportunity to connect with the people that she's seeking out. Um, we are, we are experiencing any connection we have with those people is through her eyes and based on her experience. And so she goes through the whole gamut of being in power of being taking these guys she she sees the base elements of humanity she sees the guys who troll the bars and they just have one purpose in life and one reason to possibly speak to a woman because they would like to you know engage you know in sex and then you know she meets a person later on who who treats her with kindness when she's very vulnerable you know so we see a lot of different facets but again through her through her eyes and uh it's all new and it's a fascinating way to look at the planet and to look at you know humans imagine if you were seeing humans for the first time they would be just strange looking animals and uh the film manages to make us feel that make us feel like how scary it is for her even though what she's doing is is pretty scary for the people that that come into it but i like that it's never explained it's just shown it's just this is what happens and no if you went into this environment you wouldn't have any idea what's going on and that's what makes it alien that's the whole like meaning of the word alien right it would no longer be alien if they had explained it away so i'm very glad they didn't you kind of challenged me there that it isn't a morality and I don't think that it is. I think it's it's made very clear that she is this saying even innocence kind of implies being in comparison to a morality. Right. But she is a, a newborn, right? She's yeah. she's fresh into the world. And for me, there is a point where her and her species behavior kind of hits that barbaric point where it's just it's too upsetting to to. Like you're never rooting for them to be successful. You're never like, right. yeah, prey on people, go into the goo. But it's when she's on the beach and she clubs the guy over the head with the rock. Yeah. And it's it's the baby, right? Mm-hmm. The baby is the upsetting part. The baby who's left mm-hmm. alone on the beach. And that is there to to let us know that like they're not operating by rules that she's indifferent. I mean, we as humans are familiar with. Like yeah. this baby doesn't serve a purpose. It doesn't yeah. seem to be anything edible. Like you can't seduce this baby. That's a weird sentence, but I promise I'm not trying to be creepy. Mm. It serves no purpose, and she just walks away from it. And yeah. then you even uh, her uh, motorcycle muscle guy who yeah. follows her around. 
like he walks up her, her keeper if you will. Yeah, yeah he walks up as if you're like okay fine yes you know they're they're gonna pick up the baby and he just goes and picks up a blanket and yeah. turns around and walks away yeah. so it does kind of kick you in the face there that like no this is not we aren't playing by the same rules necessarily well it's interesting too because in that very scene the man she's first talking to you know the guy who's wakeboarding out there his first response when he hears the trouble is to run and help and, and she just watches with a you know a blank you know look on her face you know to that you know not even curious it's just she just turns her head in the direction that he went that's it and then uh you know she makes her way back to the beach now that he's weakened after trying to save this family and uh you know again that's his first response right a kinship with his own species and but we're cut off from that we don't even get to go near them with the camera like the, the viewer is not even brought into that trauma because we experience the whole thing from her point of view as she watches from the beach and waits for him to, to come back up and that's when she hits him with the rock and we don't even the camera barely ever looks at what's happening out there in the water mm-hmm. we can see it in the distance we can hear it but um that's not what we're focused on and i mean that's you know it's it's disciplined like that throughout the whole film to keep us exactly in her space everything that happens in the film happens either to her or because of her and then again, like the whole idea of, of perception and the film's all about perspective. Um, the way she sees the world, the way the world sees her, she goes into the mall early on in the film and we get all these shots of the uh, women applying makeup and these big magnifying glass mirrors. And it's like, you know, it's like putting on your, your makeup before a play, right? It's like a, you know, pantomime. And, and this is a, it's a funny, it's an interesting culture that I never like fully understood. And I don't expect it of, you know, any woman that I've ever met, like that a woman must wear makeup or do these things, but it's a cultural sort of, you know, role play, right? It's like the wives from Goodfellas that, you know, mm-hmm. they get together and have these elaborate parties where they yeah. put together the big hair and the, the gaudy makeup. Yeah. So she does what she's doing, not because she thinks it's beautiful per se or necessary, but she thinks this is what will help me, you know, do what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, that that's what her skill is. Yeah. She's, it's mimicry. Mm-hmm. Her, her whole job is to try to replicate an attractive woman as much as possible. Yeah. And is she doing anything any different from what any of the uh, of the people who are getting ready for these situations are doing? Y- yes, but also, I mean, it's it's all about that that interaction, right? And that the attaining of an experience or a mate or or whatever. Yeah, I mean, the outfit that she wears throughout the entire movie is one that she's literally just lifted off of somebody else. Like yeah. she's not even the one who chose it. It's no, yeah, it's an outfit that somebody else already chose, and she just happens to have a similar body type to yeah. Scarlett Johansson. So. Boom. Now it's working for you. And now that's your that's your hunting garb. Well, it's a fascinating. I mean, we can't really not talk about the title and not talk about the most obvious, you know, metaphor in the entire film, like this idea of of what's under the skin. Right. And so, you know, we know we don't really know what's under the skin until, you know, later in the film. But that said, it's interesting how a film with almost no dialogue that's just about looking just about looking and perceiving can make such a strong statement about how much importance we put on the skin and all of the experiences that she has in the entire film. Every second of the film is directly related to the skin that she's wearing. It has nothing to do with her being, uh, with her existence in any realm. It's simply this, this, coat she's wearing it's really and it is for her just a coat and so she's paranoid throughout the film that it's going to be damaged and so you know we have a scene where you know her keeper is uh inspecting her 
right? Walking around her in circles, checking for any signs of damage or something that might reveal what's underneath. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just how people react based on how a person looks, right? So a very specific casting of Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Well, here's, here's a woman that's very beautiful, you know, very alluring. And, you know, we're going to change her appearance just enough and go to a remote enough part of the world that she could be just a beautiful girl and not a beautiful girl who's Scarlett Johansson. And, you know, we'll have her speak with a, with a very good British accent, which is much better than most Americans doing British that I've ever heard. And, uh, and, and put her out there in the wilds, if you will. And, um, it's fascinating because we know when we watch the film, I mean, well, maybe we don't, maybe other people don't like, but I knew going into it that they were, there were hidden cameras employed. So the men, these are real dudes that are really reacting to her and accepting her on her offer and hoping, you know, clearly in some instances that, hey, I'm going to have sex with this person. And it's, you know, it's disappointing for me, too. It's just like when I realize like how base, you know, sometimes things can be right where I just like because I, I, I have to live my life in, in a way that's not what do I what can I get from a person? What can I get from you and move through life that way? But that's really what these kind of pure sexual experiences are about, right? Two people getting something from the other. She gets, well, they get their their gratification, or at least they think they're going to, and she gets their skin. Again, back to the skin, right? How many what look at the state of, you know, of our culture, of the world, right? And how many how many wars have been fought over this thin membrane of tissue. The movie also, I mean, you talk a lot about the the skin that she wears and and you know the the care that they take to make sure that it remains intact, but when her handler is giving her the the thorough look over, he also spends a lot of time looking into into her eyes. Yeah. So, you know, you have the the easy to notice outward attractive thing like the yeah. the outer beauty but then there's this constant idea that even despite all that there's there's vulnerability and mm-hmm. even in a perfectly replicated eyeball like no no matter how well manicured your outfit and your coat and your your armor is there's still going to be a chance for people to to penetrate that yeah. but you can't have that from far away from far away it's always going to look like scarlett johansson it's not until there's intimacy and closeness that you have the opportunity to see anything beyond that which you know in this movie is at that point unfortunately at that point it's probably too late for you one of the most telling examples of like sort of what this film's trying to explore is when she picks up the man with and i can't remember the name of the skin condition but it's very real it's not makeup on this man that she picks up who's got um is the same uh, the same condition that that John Merrick uh, had of of the Elephant Man, right? And so, and I can't remember the name, and I'm not going to try botching it here, um, the medical term. But anyway, she has no problem with it. She doesn't, you know. This is a man who she picks up, who's just going to the supermarket. He's got a hoodie on, trying to disguise his face, and um, she picks him up. A, he's incredibly, you know, surprised that a woman will pick him up because he's used to receiving. Let's face it, he's marginalized. He he reveals to her he has no friends. He's never had a girlfriend, you know, so he's never kissed a girl. And all of this because his face, you know, he's 26-year-old. You know, he, he could be any age when you look at his face. But um, so he goes to shop at night because... People give him a hard time, right? Mm. People are quote unquote ignorant, he says. And, and but, even on his way to the supermarket, when yeah. he's walking in the night, he still yeah. has the hood over his head. Yeah. 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 And it's sad. It's a sadness because, you know, 
you and I, like, you know, would would not, I, I feel, you know, I know I would not react, you know, in a negative way towards this person. Would I, I would notice it for sure, because I have a frame of reference that she does not have. She just sees these people all in the same way, right? You know, they're bison, essentially, <laughs> you know, and, um, and that's fine. I mean, that's, it, you know, again, you can't judge her for it. It's just like, she's just come out into the world and this is what she does, right? So anyway, she shows him, you know, it's seemingly kindness. She tells him he has beautiful hands and, uh, you know, he's so taken aback by this. Nobody's ever said anything about him as beautiful, but you know, she has no idea that he's not attractive because guess what? The ideas of, of beauty, you know, are complete fabrications, right? Fabrications she does not know. She's not aware of. She's just aware this is a, this is a body with skin that we could use. So in this experience, he's, he's getting this feeling of that he's desired and loved. And of course, it's none of that. It's none of that. But he's also not experiencing what he's used to experience, which is hatred, um, you know, insults, I'm sure, all kinds, anything, you know, to marginalize him, right? Because people are threatened by it because this does not compute with their programming. But she does not have that programming. Mm -hmm. She sees the world the way a child would. Yeah. You know? That also goes back to the, I mean, that that's her skill in mimicry, even though she's never seen kindness yeah she's able to use the yeah. seductive techniques that she's taught herself to kind of recognize what he's responding to and what he's not like she's yeah. not as overtly flirtatious with him as right. it's true as she is with the other guys who are overtly flirtatious with her like she it's fascinating to see her adapt yeah. and have to try a little harder and to pick up on these little nuances and i think that that's you know that that ends up being really pivotal for her because she starts to notice the nuances of humanity and mm -hmm. the small changes and the frailties of, you know, of what these, these humans are capable of and realizing that, you know, maybe there's some more complexity to this than I realized, you know, it's like when you, I don't know, I, it seems almost like the, um, like the revelation that a lot of vegetarians will have when they all of a sudden it clicks for them yeah. that, Oh, this thing that I am eating could have been my pet or, right. could, you know, yeah. has feelings and, and has, you know, at the very least, like senses of stress and fears death. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, even plants, I, I, I don't know, you know, it's hard to measure fear in something, right? But the only way something could possibly survive and endure life on the planet is by having an innate, some sort of connection to this needs to continue happening. I need to continue being alive. And so lots of plants have defense mechanisms and things, right? So, and you know, when you look at nature, when you look at evolution, uh, what, what causes evolution to happen? What, well, so we can catch our food so we can get it. And so we can get away from the ones who are trying to make us food. Right. So without that struggle throughout, you know, our evolution, we would not have evolved. It's just like, it's really about trying to acquire more territory, acquire meals and, you know, procreate, of course. But, um, so yeah, it's, it's a very primal experience, you know, that she's going through that she's part of. And when it goes wrong, when she brings him back and he's rejected for the process because they can't use him to, to hide. You know, they can't be anonymous with his face. She she just takes off, right? And and she finds herself lost. Is that what is that what happens? Yeah. Okay. Because my read on that was that she kind of brought him along, he ended up submerged, and that she changed her mind. Well, and I don't that she like developed some sympathy mm. and mm. chose to to let him out 
Although not that I really have a, a foundation for right. how you would get out of that mysterious black liquid, but yeah, I I I mean, she goes down to that viewing hole in the wall, which we're never allowed to look through. But um, I can only imagine that what she's seeing under there is the underwater process that we've already seen and it going wrong or being stopped and not being accepted in some way. Because, I mean, she has no problem discarding him naked and alone in the world after this, you know, and just drives off, leaving him to whatever fate. Right. I guess what had me leaning more towards the the sympathetic reading of it was that right after she lets him go, the handlers come and finish him off. And I think that that was about discretion. Like she chose to kind of, sure, he's going to be vulnerable and Mm -hmm. running away naked, but that's better than being, you know, transformed, you know, being devoured or whatever it is that happens under there. So I, I saw that more as kind of her being like, okay, I'm making a statement that, I have found a person who I think is worth saving and Mm -hmm. oh no, I have an attachment to humanity and that's where she kind of branches off. But then the cleanup crew has to come along and you're like, we can't have these loose ends. So they, you Mm. know, throw them in the back of a trunk and, and we never see him again. No, that's an interesting read. Like I actually, I I never really read it that way. I hope I I would rather you be right, you know, (laughs) on this for sure. Like, I mean, I, I, I do, um, based on the specific attention to his face in the film, based on casting him, um, you you know, in, in making several points with it, right. You know, we get to see what his life is like through his, you know, own recounting of it based on his appearance and his appearance alone. Right. Right. I guess it it also is going to come down to what is, and I don't think that we're necessarily going to have an answer, but what is happening to these people when they're captured? Mm -hmm. Because if it's like a, a consumption thing where they're being eaten or devoured or compressed into what looks like loogies floating around in a pool of mm. liquid. Mm. Like this really unpleasant and horrific. Well, we could talk about, why don't we talk about that? Why don't we talk about just how unpleasant of a film it is? This is, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I've, I've heard several different reactions about it. Like I showed a friend who, you know, seemed to be quite enjoying it until the end, the end's like the final, you know, the final blow. I mean, it's a very painful scene to get through. The film's ending is very uncomfortable, but I mean, it, it you know raises other interesting questions about like about art and, and you know is art just supposed to appeal to the pleasure principle right and like okay we've got Scarlett Johansson in a film and Scarlett Johansson is naked in the film for the first time and oh that'll probably be really a big draw right but guess what there's nothing sexual in this film there's nothing erotic in this film there's nothing like erotic really per se about her nudity because it's always surrounded by mystery and death you know and um one of the most disturbing and also beautiful, but, but disturbing scenes in the film is when she finally finds herself in a warm, safe place and she's naked in front of the mirror, looking at herself like she's in a fitting room and she's looking at her body the way that you look at a jacket that you're trying on at the department store. And the music is like the music in the film, which we definitely have to get to after it it is just so alien as well. It does not sound like it was made by humans on planet earth. It doesn't remind me of any other music that I've ever heard. And so you feel like there's nothing to latch onto, nothing, you know, familiar, even her body. It's just like, you see, like you look at the body and it's just like, you know, we're rather strange looking. If, If we can get outside for like, 
90 minutes of our own training, you can, this film gives you an opportunity to see what we, re, what we look like in a really unique way. But you, you have to meet it halfway that you've got to get in there and allow yourself to look the way the film's forcing you to, or at least, you know, challenging you to. And uh, so when she's looking at herself in the mirror, I mean, it's disturbing because uh, of, at least for me, I mean, I felt like, I don't know. I mean, I never, I, I often feel sort of, like, you know, a fish out of water in certain aspects of like, you know, of my life, never obviously to the extremes of her. But I found myself like, you know, connecting with her character in surprising ways that actually disturbed me a little bit. <laughs> but um just the body, right? Like, you know, as you get older, too, I mean, your, your body, you know, changing and reminding you of its temporality, right? Like that it's not going to be here forever. And uh I don't know. I just found that scene to be particularly powerful. And, um, you know, again, like, because when she meets this man and he, he asks her if she needs help, she's not talking much anymore because she's out of her element. And the only time she really talked is when she's trying to seduce somebody, get information from them, find out if they're alone. This guy is alone, but she tries something new. Maybe she could be this person. Maybe she could be this coat. Maybe, you know, and she's trying Right. And she's trying to find herself as she's going through like this identity experience of like seeing herself in the mirror as this other self, the, the self that she's wearing. Right. Yeah. And, and she's it's kind of after the, you know, the, the big makeover. Right. Where yeah. all of a sudden I'm a different person because I've got on a different set of clothes. And that's where the movie's really tragic because she she feels some kind of draw to humanity to mm. to try it on. Right. Like she. Yeah. There's either a, a an extreme dissatisfaction with her life as it has been going right now. Like, you know, maybe she gains some self-awareness about, mm-hmm. like, how predatory she's being towards these people that are maybe not all that different from her. So then she tries it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, all right, well, let's let's go for it. Let's, uh, let's go native. And she really tries. Like, she tries to eat... The first food she ever eats <laughs> is this decadent-looking chocolate cake, yeah. and it's horrendous to her. Yeah. And then, yeah, like you said, she's you know she's looking at herself in the mirror. It's like she's looking at—I mean, she's looking in a mirror so that she can see herself as somebody else mm-hmm. would see her to try and understand. Okay, why is this attractive? And kind of moving around, and yeah. okay, well, this is how this works, and this is where these go, and yeah. and that sort of thing. But then again, when she goes to actually use that body. It's in this weird place between irony and tragedy. When she tries to actually have sex, she finds out that her body isn't actually designed for it. Her yeah. body was designed to attract... At least not sex with in this way. Yeah. Right. Like, not sex with men. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she, she tries. So, you know, she's got no idea what she's doing. It's very clumsy, very, like, teenager yeah. for sex kind of thing with, like, the, the older boyfriend with the leather jacket. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll get you through it. Don't worry, honey. Yeah. But, yeah, she tries. And it's this... It's kind of the funniest and saddest moment of the film. Yeah. Or not the saddest, because it gets darker from there. Oh, yeah. But where she where she realizes that like something's not working when like they can't have coitus like it's just not yeah it's not physically working because she's again she's designed for the seduction side of it not the copulation part and she grabs the lamp off the bedside table and then just kind of starts to like root around inside her vagina a little bit trying to figure out what's not working and then she realizes well this isn't going and i think she's also paranoid that there's been damage done too right again like there's been a breach of some kind and uh you know she'll be totally vulnerable if that gets exposed and i really wish she hadn't left though like i just like because i've seen the film multiple times i just like at that point it's just like you know Nothing, nothing good. 
nothing good happens. And uh, so yeah. when she, I guess that that could either be that you know there has been a breach and now she's more vulnerable than ever, mm-hmm. or she has realized that no matter how sharp, how hard she tries, she is not going to be human. Yeah. And she has abandoned her own people, and we don't have any sense that they're yeah. typical. You know, they're particularly compassionate towards forgiveness yeah. or anything like that. So yeah. she has no other option. Like, what is she going to do? Stick around with this, with this guy? Like, that's not. What A part this of me is, feels right? like it would have been. It would have worked. Maybe worked out with him. He seems like um, you know incredibly. You know, non-judgmental towards her, and very accepting of like this strange girl who doesn't really talk. You know, he he doesn't force himself upon her. Like he's he's really you know kind and gentle. The film needs him. It really does need him because without him, we get a pretty grim look at at the underbelly of the human race. Um, a little anecdote here is that uh, the scene where she falls down on the sidewalk again is part of the film, and they shot it with like. 15 different cameras. I remember reading about this in, you know, the quote unquote news about eight months before this film came out. Oh, Scarlett Johansson falls in the street. Uh, a late night of partying. Like uh, there was an immediate, all this assumption, right? That, you know, oh, she's into drugs or she's drinking, blah, blah, blah. And it was, of course, it was a stunt for the film. And Jonathan Glazer, you know, they didn't address it. They just let it slide. They didn't say it's for a film. Just like, you know what? Just go with it, whatever they want to say. Like, And so then we find out that it's in the film. But then Jonathan Glazer said, like, you know, it was hard deciding what shots to use uh, in that in the film because people's reactions to her falling down. Some people just stood there and took pictures. So only He said only in two instances, in two of the takes, did people actually immediately help her up. And I thought that was really interesting. And, uh, you know, you, you'll see some of the cuts. You'll see when they shift to two people helping her up, it's suddenly like the image quality is lower, like, cause that's the, one of the hidden cams, right? And, um, that was, you know, it's really interesting. It's a really, for me, one of the most exciting things about the film and it, it is that it effectively achieves what it set out to do, like this total displacement, right? You can't, you are totally connected from your own species watching it. And I can imagine it's an uncomfortable experience for me, but I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's exciting to me that it's uncomfortable. It's exciting to me that the film has taken me into this space, right? And it's not a film that I would recommend to just anyone. Um, I'm not here so much even on Netflix talking about it to just say, Hey, everybody see this. Um, (laughs) I I still, I, I do recommend it like personally, like I, as a as a film but i mean i don't just blanket say everybody should see this and watch it with your grandma watch it with your family mm-hmm. right but if you're if you're okay if you if you're willing to be challenged right if you're willing to accept that a film isn't just supposed to placate you and cater to your pleasure principle and it doesn't mean that i don't like those films but if i'm going to really have a really you know good intense discussion i like to talk about something you know a little more with a little more depth and coming back to something, yeah, I'd like to talk about. We, you talked about, you know, this, this, you know, pretty thing, right? And, uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about how beauty is deep, is directly associated with pain in the film. And like, uh, so she's in traffic, you know, in one scene in the film and a man comes up to her window with roses and he says, these are from a man over there. And some dude like four lanes over has said, Hey, let's get a rose over to this girl. And so she takes it from him, you know, not knowing what's going on. And, and she cuts her thumb 
on the thorns of the rose, right? Yes, we're all well aware of the whole like thorny rose metaphor and everything, but it's interesting because it's new to her. She's looking at this bright red flower, which is like the exact same color red as her lips. And uh, now there's this bright red blood, you know, coming out of her thumb. And uh, that's not the only instance when we have this, right? I mean, she's beautiful and she's directly associated with pain. That beauty is used as a lure, you know, but the rose has thorns for a reason too, right? It is a very beautiful flower. And uh, why does it have those thorns? You know, it's interesting. Like we, we assume that plants don't have, you know, a survival instinct, but why does it have those thorns? So I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm transfixed by that. And so, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the video game designer, Hideo Kojima, you know, who's behind like the Metal Gear Solid games and all this stuff. But he once came out very loudly, you know, in public at saying that a video game cannot be art is not art. And I don't agree with that statement like because I don't believe that any one human being can sit here and say what is or is not art. But I, I, I totally get where he's coming from, where he said, the reason the video game is not art is because it caters solely to the pleasure principle. All of the aspects of it, all of the artistry is all serving one purpose to make you enjoy yourself. And he said that's why it can never be true art for him, because art isn't supposed to to do that at all. It's simply supposed to be an expression of an impulse, of a thought, of a feeling. So he referenced this this chair called the refusing chair. This uh, that is a most beautiful. You know, you can look it up. It's this beautiful, beautiful chair. It's just exquisite, but it's made up of thousands upon thousands and thousands of needles. So you can't sit on it or you'll hurt yourself very badly. So it's this idea of this beautiful thing that looks comforting. It looks like you want to sit on it, but it rejects you as soon as you try to. And so for him, that that was art. Art was about bringing you to a certain point and then forcing you to deal with a challenge of some kind. And that doesn't mean that everything has to be work. Every artistic experience has to be work. But this film for me is like the refusing chair. It's she's beautiful. Um, the, the, the way the film was made is, is really interesting. It's not, a, I wouldn't say that the film itself is beautiful, like at least not in the conventional way. It is not trying to be. It's trying to be a window. So it doesn't want to draw attention to itself as a film. It wants to be a window. And, you know, she's sort of your guide, if you will. But for me, that's an interesting idea. And I think Upstream Color fits into that that as well, right? But we don't, in, in, in our culture at large, people don't want that. They, they want to go, they want to like, you know, have fun, eat the popcorn, and then forget about it afterwards. Um, not everyone, I mean, and, you know, I look at Star Wars, right? That makes me feel incredible. You know, watching the new Star Wars made, made me feel incredible. But I was still thinking about it. Like, so... And it, it, it penetrated the culture in a huge way. So it's it's not to say that a film has to be this way to do that. And Under the Skin could never penetrate the culture in the way that something like Star Wars does, right? Because Star Wars is a chair made of pillows, not spikes. And that's just fine, because at the end of the day, I want to be in that chair of pillows. But we can't throw the chair of spikes away because it's not comfortable. And it's there's no way in any reality I can say to someone, this film will make you feel great. <laughs> you know yeah it you touched on it already and it's fascinating that the the movie i don't I, I don't even know if it's intentional but i have to imagine that a lot of people came to this movie by way of scarlett johansson's naked body 
that that's where they heard about this in the I first hope, place. I hope not, but I, yeah, I guarantee it. Right. Like, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the naked celebrity, Mr. Skin, that, yeah. that whole thing. Oh, right. Um, they named this Scarlett Johansson's role in this apparently as like the number one nude scene of all time. Well then, because they were finally seeing Scarlett Johansson, right. this person they'd idolized for forever yeah. in the flesh. And, that's crazy because then at that point this incidental accidental marketing the film's still is, happening is doing yeah what what the what the character is doing that it's yes. we're giving you exactly what you want or we're at least dangling that in front of you and we're proving the thesis of the film but yeah but then when you get there you're going to be submerged in something that yep. you weren't expecting you have no reference point for <laughs> she's all of a sudden you know, walking on a different plane above you yeah. while you're swimming in this thing that you got stuck in yeah. because we'll just call it the stuff, the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like yeah. it's the movie come to life. Yes. Well, and that's, you know, Jonathan Glazer, when he talks about like the 10 years developing it, right. He just felt it was like, there was no need to rush it. Scarlett had known about the film for 10 years and she had already talked with him and agreed to doing it. So this is a testament to like the dedication to the idea of he just said 10 years was simply the amount of time it took for me in my life to really get to the point and get this story to a point where I could create an experience that put you completely in the viewpoint of the other. Right. And, um, I'm, I'm curious to see how it works for like, you know, people of different eth ethnicities watching the film, like what effect it has, like, you know, as a, as a, as a white male in North America, you know, it's, yeah, I can't sit here and say that I've ever experienced racism directed towards me. I've experienced it directed towards people that I'm with. And in those moments, I'm in that world. And, you know, at least in a way that's more informed than just watching it you know, on TV or like saying, Oh wow, I'm glad that doesn't happen to me. And it was a really disturbing experience, you know, and, uh, to be, to be in that situation. And so just seeing this, you know, uh, imagining what the world would be like to be a total foreigner, right? Like it's a, like a culture shock and she's, she's kind of in this experience too, but she's also got to do something that's like, that's really challenging as well. I mean, she's got to hunt in foreign territory. So it's just like we get quite a cross section. Like the film's never some is as minimalist as it is. There's nothing simple about the film or simplistic. Um, we get to see s some of the more disappointing, you know, elements of humanity, like sort of the base instincts of like say, okay, just pure sexual procreation or whatever. Like, you know, um, and then we get to see kindness from from a few people. Um, we get to see indifference, you know, and all of these things, are, of course, you know, she expresses a lot of indifference in the film, too. And then, of course, when we get into the, the final act of the film, then we experience, you know, I would have to say in the sense like, you know, I would have to say evil. Um, You know, we go all the way to the end of like where something happens to her that's, you know, you know, much worse than anything she's perpetrated in the film because nothing in the film for her has been perpetrated out of malice or a desire or a pleasure for what she's doing, right? It, not to mention, like, the... <clears throat> it's unclear because of her victims' reactions whether or not they're even... Fe like, what they're really feeling. Yeah. Like, up until the point of submersion, they're thrilled, <laughs> right? Yeah. They are 
you know, they're they're even still thrilled as they're being submerged, right? Yeah, like they still have these looks on their faces, like, oh, well, well, this this weird thing is rising above me, but yeah, and, you know, let's 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 keep going. And a testament to the tunnel vision of sexual attraction, too, <laughs> yeah, right? No kidding. You do get a sense that there's some kind of horror going on under there when the two men are submerged at the same time. They kind of reach out their hands to each other, but there's no there's no physical pain. Like there's probably some kind of there's psychic anguish, I'm sure, going mm-hmm. on under there. Because, it's like a sensory deprivation chamber, almost. Yeah, but there, there's still consciousness there, so that's that's really terrifying but when yeah. The, yeah when the two guys like see each other and, and touch each other under the yeah, water yeah before the one clicks into into that scene is intense into moist the cl- sound Kleenex state that the, the do you, snap do you remember that snap yeah. that horrible horrible snap <laughs> it's, it's such an indifferent sound like it yeah. does not care about what just happened to that yeah. man it's just and now we're done Ugh. You know, the, in the in the score, um, the track titles are are fascinating because they're like they're very simple title. Like the first track on the soundtrack is called "Birth." I listened to the score once and realized I would never listen to it again after that. It's not like I can't think <laughs> of any situation in my life where like I would listen to that. Where it, it's beautiful, it's haunting, it's terrifying, but it's like while I'm not going to listen to it while I'm doing X, Y, or Z, I'm not going to listen to it just because. So, but I'll never forget it. And, um, but anyway, the first track is called Birth. You know, there's a track called Love. There's a track, and I'm sure you can place it to the scene called Meat is Math. Which really is it disturbing when you when you think about it? And this it was scored by like a twenty seven year old girl, like you know who's like an electronic artist. Um, I can't remember uh, if Jeremy were here. He's probably you know when he's listening to this, he'll be he's na- just he'll be naming it right now. You should yeah. have lifelines on your Netflix. Can I call my Can I call my lifeline, Jeremy? Um, I suppose I could actually just grab my phone and Google it. Mika Levy, got it. Oh, Mika did. Levy. It was in my brain. I just had to, need the Google. I had to get right. to it. Yeah. Mika Levy. <clears throat> and, um, so yeah, well, so, you know, we might as we might as well talk about like that, the alienness of the score. Like, what did you, how did you feel? I mean, I guess you've only seen it once. So, I mean, I don't know, but it made me like the, the love song, the, the love theme. If you, when, when she's, you know, kissing the man and, and, and trying to experience a different way of relating to people that it, it's, it's as beautiful as the music in that film gets, but it's, terrifying too it's like so uncomfortable it's like Mm -hmm. it's like it's you can feel it trying to be beautiful and purposefully not getting there i'm thinking about it right now and it's just making my skin crawl in a good way yeah the the sounds of the movie did stand out as being insistently incompatible with what i what i wanted it to be yeah it it, you know it 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 didn't do the refusing chair again yeah it's that damn refusing chair um and then the the really potent use of music is that you know at the end when she comes full circle and becomes the victim yeah you know her own hunting score yeah i don't know what the track might have been called but her own hunting score is used when she's being you know assaulted by this man like that was really that man that's he's the scariest thing in the entire film and his body language when she first meets him and you know he's he puts his he pulls his coat back and puts his hands in his pocket and just sort of thrusts himself forward. It's impossible to not notice that, but it's just subtle enough. And then he walks away, and you know, oh, I was so relieved when he walked away. I know because she's in this vulnerable state. Yeah. Here's this man who's by himself, understands these woods. He has the home field advantage. I wanted her to win, despite of everything. He's setting off all of these red flags. Yeah. So then, when he finally leaves and goes away, I was like, oh, thank God, we've missed out on this. But then we find out afterwards that he's got that same tunnel vision yeah. to the point of 
predation towards her yeah where he you know he just waits until she's asleep to start fondling her and yeah. it's so upsetting yeah yeah i mean i wish that that scene weren't in the film but i, I also I, I understand like it, it was there to get us to a point where okay we experienced the whole life on earth of this character mm-hmm. uh, she, you know there needed to be some sort of instigation for her skin to be damaged so we could get the reveal, right? Something had to happen. Um, it makes sense. This ending makes sense for the film. It's not an ending you want. It's not an ending you enjoy. But it doesn't. It doesn't deviate from the film's trajectory. Like it. It's. It fits. As uncomfortable as that is, it's fascinating that it's a a fitting. Well, I mean, not the fire, but you know yeah. what happens to her yeah. is very similar to what she's been doing to these men like this whole sexual predation thing is just seen in the reverse much more violent and perpetrated by a human being instead of by a a stylistic alien yeah it's it's fitting but you don't want to see it it doesn't feel i'm glad we don't i'm glad we don't i know i i don't you know i didn't imagine that we would but um the point is made um, you know, and, uh, it's an attempt, an unsuccessful attempt, but then of course, you know, what he does next, I mean, it's just like, really? Like you had that gas, you were just like, <laughs> do you really need to come back and, and do this? Like, you know, but I guess I can't really ex- expect a guy who's willing to try to rape someone to like when, you know, he finds out it's like not human. I don't expect him to call someone or do something either, anything good. Right. I don't yeah. expect this person to do anything good. He's also a hunter. <clears throat> so I kind of figured like he would try to catch her or something like make her into a prize. But, but when she's when she's looking at her face, face to face of herself, like that's a really intense scene. It's beautiful. It's, it's terrifying. Again, everything in the film that is beautiful in any way is also terrifying. It's, it's interesting that, um, when the creature, when, I don't even know what to, what what pronoun to use anymore. Because, that, isn't that amazing, though? Because all of the the gendering that we've done has yeah. been because of this costume yeah. that it is wearing. Yep. And you, there aren't any like gender markers on this black form that right. we end up seeing after the fact. It's androgynous for sure. Yeah, but we you know we still code yep. it as female because that's what we've been associating this whole time, yep. and that's the identity that it's been trying to to take on. And because it's done such a great job of copying a human female, we don't, it's startling to let go of that or to try to consider anything else. So, you know, we're feeling, you know, we're, we're feeling that kind of uncertainty and insanity just watching it from the safe space of a movie. Right. So then, you know, if you were in the woods and had a gas can next to you and that happened right in front of you, then... Who knows what your action might be? Mine wouldn't be that one, but, uh, you know, again, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably sound like such a monster. No, 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 no. But, um, no, it's, it's fascinating the, what the film achieves. And this is why I wanted to talk about it. So, um, you know, it's like, they see like, a you know, a work of art, you know, will, should hold a mirror to nature, right? The, this film plunges, plunges you into a completely foreign world sheerly you know by by sheer force uh, force of perspective they didn't change the world in any way they used no special effects to make earth look different they just they went and filmed in scotland you know in a place that probably a lot of people haven't seen or been to like i know i have not you know 
And it's just, it looks, Scotland, from everything I've seen, just looks so different from every other place on earth. It's like a, a specific green, you know, something is just so, so unique about it. So anyway, just by pointing the camera in a certain way and setting the camera in a certain place, it shows us a completely foreign planet and it's our own home. But because of our forced perspective, because of the viewpoint of this character, it's no longer home. It's no longer a place we recognize. And that should tell us really strongly not to attach ourselves too tightly or firmly to our own viewpoints, to our own belief that we've got life figured out or that we know the plan or that we know where our life is going. Because all of that is deeply rooted and connected to our present environment, right? I feel like whatever I know is still, and as much as I try to learn about all facets of things, like expose myself to things that I normally wouldn't. Like, like I said in the last chat, don't have a type, don't have a thing. Like, please, you know, if this is a sequel to the last piece, we might as well draw back to some earlier themes, right? Don't have a type, don't have a thing, because then everything you're going to experience is just going to be another variation on that one thing. And I saw so much of that when I was reading criticism of this movie, Mm -hmm. that it was people who's, I mean, who's, I assume their job, like if you are, if you're popular enough to be on Rotten Tomatoes, you have to at least belong to some kind of, you know, critical group, if not yeah. be part of like a mass produced publication. So even people who do this professionally, that's still what we do. Like they, yeah. there's, this doesn't fit what I want it to be. Yeah. Therefore it is bad. Yeah. Like there is some really, or it doesn't feel good to watch. Therefore it is a failure. It's right. bad. Yeah. There's complaints about, you know, the, the the glacial pacing and the one that yeah. really upset me was uh um i don't remember which one of the three it was but it was this this group of i believe it's three brothers called three film buffs mm-hmm. and you know if they're listening call me and we'll talk but if they're calling themselves film buffs they probably aren't anyway <laughs> <laughs> um but they had this this really strong the one of them had a really strong opinion that they said it is so brave for scarlett johansson to get naked in this movie yeah and a sentence later complaining about the male nudity in the movie and mm-hmm. how i don't understand why you couldn't have filmed those guys from behind why do i need to see their half erect oh, penises right. and yeah and that sort of thing where it's like like you you couldn't take the time to see uh-huh. well why might it be important to see yeah. that like why that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because actually um, I wouldn't want to miss you know talking about this in a discussion of this film. I, I read a great piece on the film about like the male gaze, right, and about what this film does very, very you know beautifully is like is the constant switching of gaze. So we get the male gaze in this film. We get the female gaze. You know, we get all of these different, these different viewpoints, right? So when she lures those men back, it's, we, we get to see how these men seem when they're in the heat of, I want to have sex. And it's like, nobody wants to be seen that way. You know, it's like, it's not like, you know, the finest hour, I think, in some ways of like, of like a, of a, of a human animal. But anyway, so, uh, when she gets them back and then we see their, these, you know, these erections on the man as they're walking towards her and stuff, it's just like, it's like guys have been so trained to think that, you know, we got it. Like we're here to take sex and have sex. And it's like, all of our, it seems like sometimes this overt, you know, machismo, it's really an overcompensation for kind of how silly 
our apparatus really is like you know what i mean <laughs> there's nothing particularly intimidating like when you see a man walking with an erection it's just like ah you know what i mean and i say that as a man but i'm just like come on like you know with so these guys coming with their erections it's like it's like guys it's like maybe they don't want women to see the truth or whatever it's like because when the woman's watching this dispassionately not in the throes of passion she'll see us for what we really are but that's really like the what the film does right it's like let's show things for what they really are without like any heavy-handed commentary whatsoever and so these men absolutely should be seen naked right and i mean isn't it funny that you know this the the male gaze control of hollywood has has been dominant for so long you know that it's all about women being naked because culture is all about a woman as the conquest men would never be a conquest men are the conquistadors and you know and so on and so forth um, Master of None, you know, coming back to that, is, is he really deals with with the these you know treating men and women as equals who actually both enjoy sex and both seek it out and, and are you know, both kind of absurd when they're seeking it. Yeah, yeah. I mean the film the, that series opens up with like one of the most <laughs> brilliant you know I want I want you know I, I want anyone who watches it just to really experience that and that's not what this podcast tonight's about anyway. But um, you know the episode, ladies and gentlemen, right where it's all about you know how women are treated in social situations sometimes right and i sometimes feel insulated you know i brought this up earlier when i said like you know my world i have to i have to realize that i'm insulated in many ways and a lot of that's because i also i only surround myself with open-minded people right i mean i think that they're all, they're also the only people who could deal with five minutes of of me in their face anyway but really whenever i hear guys sometimes like talking about girls in a in a really you know horrible way like you know after being out to being out to a bar or whatever i'll just if i hear passing in conversations and i'm just like wow shit like it really is happening all around me you know what i mean it really yeah. is happening all around me and, and when i hear my female friends complain that like they aren't acknowledged you know at their workplaces by male patrons in a way that feels humane and i just like you know in an episode of master of none right like he says you know he he first makes excuses for the guy like as a natural thing like well you assume that it's a sexist response. And it's like, and I personally, I don't want to assume anything is, is, is sexually motivated by people, but I know it is. And it's, you know, I'm always looking for the best in people, but I got to listen to people too. Yeah. One of the better pieces that I read about this movie was uh, written by Chrissy Puchko mm-hmm. for uh, the Mary Sue, I believe is what it was. And her, her read on the whole movie was essentially like, Hey guys, guess what? This is what it's like. Oh, Oh no, send me the link cuz I'd love to read that. Yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating just talking about how you know like welcome to the other side of yeah. a rape culture and yeah, at yeah. least you know you know when it's happening to us it happens like at the end of the movie when it's happening to you you get this kind of this soft <laughs> right more existential crisis instead of actual mm. physical harm. But I think that that's that's also a tremendous read on the uh on the movie itself like it it, it it's not gentle towards men yeah. <laughs> and it you know it, it puts them in that that stage of as you mentioned like really poignantly the in that vulnerable state especially when it's in that kind of like clouded sex obsessed tunnel vision that mm-hmm. yeah it, it's hard like i want to um you know when you're interacting with a person like i, I always try to if i'm having a conversation with someone 
or um never like i try not to be like slavish to my own viewpoint right it's like everybody if i'm talking to a person i ha- i have to believe that they believe as strongly in what they're saying as what i'm saying right and so you know that moment it's like when a, so i try to think about what would it what must it be like say for a woman right if we're we're a species that can really analyze the sexual paradigm right i mean in if you look at the animal kingdom like sex is uh, is more often than not a very violent act and it's like biologically speaking it actually kind of makes sense for like okay your sperm you know when the sperm is battling to get to that egg it's a violent act the strongest one is the one that makes it survives the journey and gets in there and you want the strongest one to win because that's going to be you you know and you want to hope that you're pretty strong at the beginning because you need that you know momentum pushing you forward into life so in nature the birds when birds have sex like it's a horror show if you have ever watched it and uh just flying and attacking and pouncing to the ground but it's like well hey that's going to be the strongest seed right that's the bird so it makes sense but we have an awareness and we have the ability to treat each other to transcend our instincts right but when we can't when we fail that's when it can be scary and it's like so when you see i'm trying to imagine what it's like for a woman having a conversation with a man and it seems like it's going well and everything but then he's looking at her in a certain way and i imagine what it would be like to always be wondering is this guy only talking to me so he can fuck me you know imagine that it, it doesn't happen all, i mean i'm sure that you know there are certainly instances when you're with a woman and, and you're wondering like is she just into me because i'm such a stud or like i'm really interesting i do wonder that yeah <laughs> all the time i've seen your fan site you know yeah so i, I imagine it must be i appreciate you curating that yeah <laughs> no problem man. it's awkward if i'm doing it myself yeah but um so no it's just again and that's all about like is this person seeing me for me or are they just looking at my skin and so this film manages without ever being preachy or making a political statement of any kind it just shows you the experience of one life form and how it is colored by the suit that she's wearing and uh everything that happens to her in the film is because of the suit that she's wearing just a membrane of tissue nothing more nothing less and uh all of the things that it could connote or mean, you know, it's like you mentioned earlier about being a vegetarian, right? Or like the idea of like, you know, this, if you're eating an animal, like this animal was alive at one point and it didn't want to die. Well, most people have no idea where their food comes from either, right? If you, you know, most people don't want to see a dead animal on their table, but by the time it comes to their table, they're so far removed from it. It's just, it's meat, it's a meal. No one's thinking about that, you know, that was like a, a piglet not that long ago or whatever right should we tell people now is this the point where we tell people that it's actually a comedy the film no (laughs) it's really not all that serious no not at all this is cycling back quite a bit to something that you said a lot earlier and that was talking about her her perspective and i started at the beginning talking about um how you see from her perspective that she's hunting yeah and she's hunting for men what made that device even more effective is that about halfway through when she starts to change what she wants and what she's trying to do is uh is all of a sudden you're getting that same kind of scene where she's sitting in the van and but now she's starting to look around and instead of watching men move and then moving on to the next one she's spending a little bit more time and she's lingering 
yeah. looking at and now watching. And most importantly, now she's starting to look at women as well. Yeah. And it's not that she's necessarily varying her her tastes, I don't think, in terms of predation. I think that it's, she's like, oh, well, what are they doing? Yeah. What What is going on here? And that's where she... She starts to be, yeah, you know, like I said before, where she starts to go native, or where she starts to see the piglet on her plate instead mm-hmm. of the, instead of the the bacon that it's become. Well, isn't it interesting, right? Like, you know, again, why why is cake made to be pretty? You know, you mentioned the the eating of the cake earlier. She chose the thing that looked looked delicious, right? But it's like when you think about what's in a piece of cake. I mean, our culture is so pleasure, or like we're the like most animals don't eat f- for pleasure. They eat what their body needs and what will satiate them. We are, you know, we're a different breed in that we, you know, first and foremost, like want to eat what tastes good. And, you know, who cares, you know, about any nutritional value that it may have. And it's funny to me, like, why don't they just make a cake flavored gum? Because really, once you finish chewing the piece of cake, it's got nothing to offer you but pain. It's got nothing to do to your body but pollute it. So I think we're at that point. We yeah. do have like dessert gums and well, things like you know, that. It's, we're we're getting to that Willy Wonka world. Chew the piece of cake and then spit it out because you're done with it. It's done everything it's going to do for you. You know, don't swallow it. You know, <laughs> but that's like that says a lot about like how how we live, right? It's like all that matters is the taste, and that's why you know this film is like is exciting for me because it's not. I mean, the, the taste is it's a little bit it's, it's quite bitter but what it does when it gets inside you is deeply valuable and so look at us having this conversation about a film that has maybe 15 minutes of dialogue in it you know maybe i mean if you really took all those conversations and just put them all into one scene it's probably about 15 minutes of the movie and that, that it says this much and that we're able to pull this much you know uh, discussion out of it that speaks volumes, right? Because you can talk all you. It's like, you know, a lot of these movies you watch that are talk, 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 talk. They're not saying an awful lot, right? It's it's chatter a lot of the time. You know, it's like uh, I've heard criticisms of The Revenant being like, oh, DiCaprio only has like blah, 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 like 10 lines of dialogue in the whole film. Why is he getting nominated? I'm like, wow. Because we associate talking with the, you know, it's like you know, pop music. When was the last time you heard an instrumental on a mainstream radio station? know what I mean? We've always got to hear that human, you know, singing or doing something, right? I would love to hear one instrumental piece. Like the only radio station you're going to hear that on is, you know, either CBC or, or Radio Western. So um, it's interesting. I mean, we, we need that constant reminder of the things that we're used to. And um, Under the Skin takes every one of those things and just discards them. So yeah, it's never going to be a popular film in any timeline in any 10 years from now 10 years ago right now it's never going to be a hugely popular film even with scarlett johansson naked in it why because it it desexualizes her it defamiliarizes all of the things that we expect to have or want to have and um it does so very honestly and organically and you know in a really you know unique and for me inspiring way um and uh, again We've come to a point, we discussed this, you know, in the last, uh, you know, in the upstream color chat about like a celebrity not being enough anymore, not being the big draw. Because if Scarlett Johansson naked in a film isn't enough, we've hit that point where now if your film's weird, it's not going to get into the multiplex, period. And this is a strange film, purposely so. It should be strange. It's everything about it is alien. And um, only because of the viewpoint, though. 
you know, and of course, you know, the stuff, but it's a small part of the film. It's really the viewpoint that makes it seem like an alien place. And that's for me, like really telling And if a film can make me think about the way I look at the world differently or how the world is looking at me. Exactly. It's a huge, it's a huge thing that it accomplishes. So hells yeah, I want to talk about it. That's why, you know, one of the many reasons why I chose talking about it. Since we started talking about the idea of <clears throat> points of view and everything. Okay, so the human eye. We opened on the creation of the eye, right? Well, if this film has is, is taught us anything, at least taught me, it's how the way we look at things, we color our world with our with our views with our perception and so what's the what's the next level of the all-seeing eye you know the camera lens right and so this film plants cameras all over the place to capture the world the world unseen because when a person doesn't know you're looking at them that's when they're themselves it's only when they know they're being watched that they they have to put on any sort of performance of whether it be gender you know why would you put on makeup if no one's going to be seeing you right like if even if it's just you, you're putting it on so you can be seeing you, right? And so it's like this film is 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 taking the world that we know and coloring it through its through its perception. And what does cinema do, right? I mean, people underestimate how much influence cinema has on the cultural viewpoint. Because let's face it, it's a communal eye. What trends are currently happening? Well, check it out. You can see them based on what product placements are in what films, right? The bigger films, the the bigger the film, the bigger the product placement and how people talk to each other, like lingo and slang. How is that shared culturally? Like cavemen, cave people, you know, they they drew on their walls, right? They uh, you know, these stories came about and it was like, you know, they would depict what their culture did. And that's how they would that would they would communicate to each other with stories so you know this film's ultimate coup is actually achieving what it set out to do and set out to do it with the very apparatus that it was commenting on like the eye you know the all-seeing eye well that seems as good a place as any to uh start wrapping things up Mm -hmm. so the way i generally like to wrap these up is by inviting uh, you to name or to uh to tell me what this went into your own personal netflix profile as Mm -hmm. uh, with uh with the star rating. So one star being that you hated it, two stars being that you didn't like it, three stars meaning you liked it, four stars meaning that you really liked it, and five stars being that you loved it. Yeah. Um, as well, is there any MVP or anything that you feel like just kind of needs to be celebrated above anything else? Yeah. Well, I w- I've got to say, I mean, Scarlett Johansson, I've always been a, a huge fan of Scarlett Johansson. I mean, one, one of my absolute favorite films of all time is Lost in Translation. Right. And um, she's always, you know, I thought you were going to say Iron Man, too. (laughs) She's really interesting to me because, you know, she's always been sort of like, you know, sort of this, you know, bombshell type, you know, persona. But she's never uh, really engaged in the public in any any sort of salacious way. And she continually takes like interesting roles. She takes big films. She takes little films. Um, but usually like an interesting character or whatever. But th- doing this film, I mean, really impressed me. How far and how committed she she was to like, I mean, her face is almost unreadable in the film. You know, it's just like, I, 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 I never forgot I was looking at Scarlett Johansson, but I also did. You know what I mean? 
I just like, she completely was a part of that world and she felt foreign. This is definitely not Scarlett Johansson. You know what I mean? It wasn't just because of her accent or her hair color. Um, she really embodied this character. I always felt like I could see the character inside of her skin. I always felt like she was awkward in her body, that it wasn't the body she was born with. And that's no small feat. And I said the same thing about, you know, it's sort of Andrew Sensenig's performance in, under, in Upstream Color, because he, he barely speaks a line in the film, but he still commands, like you still never forget his presence. And she has almost no dialogue in the film. And, uh, she, you know, she, she just, she tells the story though. She's the narrator. And it's fascinating. I mean, it's a fascinating testament to what the film achieves visually, that the narrator doesn't have to speak. And so that's like one of the highest compliments I can give it. And that's why I give I give the film five stars, because again, like Upstream Color, this is a film that seemed to come out of a completely different world. Um, it came out of like thin air. It's not like anything that I've ever seen before. And it's not made in a way that I've ever seen a film made before. And, um, if you, you know, they accomplished like a real original piece of filmmaking and they clearly along the way, like they weren't thinking, boy, we're going to turn over some major dough with this. Like this was clearly a passion project. He spent 10 years on it. So for me, it's like, I make films because I have to. And that feels like if you spend 10 years doing something, it's cause you have to, you got to get this out. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's not a film that's comfortable to watch, but that's not a negative thing. It's not a criticism of it. And it's not, you know, the only reason I would say that is like, if I'm recommending it to someone, there's got to be a, a little, a couple caveats in there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I choose who I recommend it to. And I also choose like when you should watch it, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, well qualify that i knew you'd be willing to go down the rabbit hole though so i felt no trepidation recommending it to you so i appreciate that yeah this has been another one of those it's always interesting talking to you because it this is gonna sound overly complimentary but <laughs> it's uh it's transformative because i see the movie differently now than i did than before i started talking to you about it and even just listening to you talk about kind of what she did to make it be what it is mm-hmm. um I might even opt out of giving my own answers because I think they were different than what I what I was going into to start mm. with. You're totally right that it's it is unlike sometimes when I when I witness something when I try to stretch my boundaries as far as like what I've seen and what is out there. This is sometimes when I do that, it's like okay, well, this is this is opening me up to that genre mm-hmm. or this kind of experience, and that's kind of my my first step through that door, yeah. but under the skin is a room in and of itself. Yeah. There's that, nothing like it. Yeah. There's, it, it's not except fresh Prince of Bel Air. If you like this, it showed up on my Netflix. If you like this, <laughs> you might like fresh Prince of Bel Air. So, Hey guys, if you like under the skin, check out fresh Prince and vice versa. Sorry. Uh, Continue. Sorry. <laughs> I just had to, because I had to stop doing that as a segment <laughs> on the show. Cause it just got so upsetting. Like yeah. if you liked the great Muppet caper, you might like Beverly Hills Chihuahua three. Yeah. Like, no, I guarantee you yep. that that is not going to be the case the fresh prince of bel-air they just sit right beside each other it's clearly sometimes just a programming glitch of some the algorithm <laughs> they use for sorting whatever but it's still funny when it happens i should have taken a screenshot 
Well, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is also a drama based on contemporary literature, so it makes sense. And it's also very much about viewpoint and perspective, so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's yeah, I'm not going to be able to wrap up the movie any better than you did, so so I'll, I'll let you have the last word on that then. Um, now, is, uh, you know, this is your second time on the show. Uh, is there anything now, a couple of months later, that that you've been working on that people should seek you out at or <clears throat> well i'm still um, i am working on the project i, I mentioned last time nine and uh, a half more years to go nine and, and a half more years i'm working on uh, on glass you know my my most recent film with a an amazing you know team of people um you know it just you know i mean edward platero of course who's like you know uh, it's been a revelation working with him. Um, my, my, my good friend, Melissa Parrott, who worked with me on my last film, The Golden Hour. I mean, Siobhan Latimer, who's the star of the film. I mean, I put these people through some long 14 hour days, man. And, uh, and they let me feel it. They let me have it at the end. Like they reminded me, but you know what? It's, it's really humbling to work with people who are putting that much in, that much faith into you that, you know, you're going to deliver on your promise, right? That this is all going to be worth it. And uh, all right here in London. This is my first film that's been 100% made here in London. Um, and that's also been like we're working. I'm working with Anthony Villeneuve, who lives here in London, but he's worked on films like The 300 and Pacific Rim. Like he's got like so much experience in the industry and this guy's doing makeup in my film, right? And he lives, you know, here in our sleepy town. And it, it's really cool. It's been really great. I've met a lot of great people making it. So is there anywhere that people can kind of follow that project? Keep an eye out where when it's going to be ready. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, is, is the website up yet or um, I'm work? actually, I'm working on it this week. We've, we're starting to build a new website or liminalarts.com. And, um, at first it's just going to be a splash page with something gra- glass related on it. But, uh, yeah, that should be coming, you know, in, in the coming weeks, but you can follow me. I mean, I'm on Twitter under liminal arts or, you know, Jason R. Gray. You can follow me by my name, Facebook as well. That's G-R-A-Y. Yeah, perfect. And then Vimeo, there are you know my last two films are up on Vimeo as well. So wonderful. I'll be sure to link to those in the uh, in the show notes for uh, for this one as well as uh, if you enjoyed the conversation, be sure to check out uh, the the last time we talked talking about Upstream Color and check out that movie too because yeah. that's a that's an experience Watch them in and both of itself in one night and then thank me later <laughs> and then take the next day off. Yeah, just go to a beach or something just experience something genuinely and consistently beautiful and positive Well, that's everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, reviews, as well as a weekly look at what's new on Canadian Netflix. You can also find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, Twitter at Netflix Pod, or my personal one at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you while you're there drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think you can also contribute directly to netflix by way of our patreon campaign whether it's for the rewards like shout outs on the podcast or customized content or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing you can pledge your support over at patreon.com thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the netflix podcast and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the netflix catalog because even if you think you've seen it all baby you ain't streamed nothing yet Thank you.